What I want to start with was just what I mentioned to you at the end of uh, last week that we've covered some pretty heavy things in the last number of weeks together. Um, I've said some things that were alarming to some of you and uh, cause for thought for many of you. And I wanted to give you a chance to, to interact um, together, to just have a bit of a dialogue, to ask some questions, if you have any, uh, that specifically pertain to what we've been talking about. So I don't want to kind of run off on any bunny trails here, um, but I want to give you an opportunity to ask some questions just related to things that maybe you've been processing or wrestling with. Um, obviously, in that, I would never suggest that I know the answers or all of the answers, um, but it's good to just dialogue back and forth. And um, like I mentioned last week, I want you to test everything with scripture that we say. I want, it's not good enough just to listen to me. You can't survive spiritually on secondhand manna from somebody else. You actually have to be in the word yourself, testing it, coming under it. Um, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to ask some questions. Just to start this, and Spencer's gonna have a microphone. Just to start this, a question did come into me via email, and Andrew, we can, I don't know where you are, Andrew. Yeah, we can dialogue back and forth about this because it's a great question. So Andrew had just asked me this week, just in relation to the Holy Spirit and, um, and our, our, our teaching here that Jesus being fully divine but fully human at the same time, it's a reality we can't, there's no way our intellect can grasp all that that means. <laughs> so no, we just have to acknowledge that, first of all. We can't understand how that works on a, on a molecular level or a microcosmic level, but Jesus was fully divine, fully God, and fully man at the same time. What I've been processing through with you and teaching through with you uh, related to Philippians 2 and some other passages, when Jesus humbled himself, he willfully accepted every human limitation and did not use kind of his, the ace in his sleeve secret God card to heal anyone, to deliver anyone from the demonic, to do anything. What he did in humbling himself before God was accept every limitation of humanity. And as a model for us, Jesus shows us how to live uh, as a human in every way. So the question that Andrew asked, which is so good, he said, I used to attend a previous church and the pastor there said he did not think Jesus could see into the future. As I thought about it, um, Andrew said, um, as I thought about it, I believe he can. I've heard many times that Jesus was the God man sent to us and took on all the physical aspects of a man. So my question is, was he as a man unable to do these things 
Or was it the Holy Spirit that revealed all things to Jesus, such as knowledge, healing power, seeing into the future, etc.? Or did Jesus know these things already on his own as the Son of God? It's a great question. How did Jesus heal? When Jesus spoke prophetically, how did that come about? Um, and again, I'm just, these are things we have to hold loosely and uh, with great sort of humility because I don't know uh, how heaven exactly works. Um, but I would suggest to you that um, when Jesus is saying statements like, I only know what the Father says to me, I only know what the Father shows me. When Jesus responds to the disciples who are asking him when the end of the age will come, he says, only the Father knows that. The Son doesn't. What I believe Jesus is referring to is that in taking on every limitation of humanity, if Jesus wanted a prophetic, revelatory information, he had to access the Father in the same way that you and I do. He had to live in communion with the Father. He had to live totally dependent and submitted to the Holy Spirit in his life. So Jesus uh, had great prophetic revelatory uh, gifting, obviously. And he could, uh, you know, um, see things on the horizon that not everybody could see. But I would suggest to you humbly that the way that Jesus knew those things prophetically was not just that he was like, oh, I'm God, so I'll just pull that card up. No, he actually disciplined himself to spend time to cultivate his relationship with the Father. He disciplined himself, he humbled himself to receive every human limitation because he was fully human in every possible way. And he depended on the Holy Spirit so any prophetic revelation, that came through the Holy Spirit as Jesus walked in intimacy with the Father. When Jesus claims he didn't know something, I think it's because the Father didn't reveal it to him. Pretty simple. Now, again, we hold these things in humility um, because we don't know the inner workings of the throne room. And so I, I don't know who could, who could intellectually give every sort of detail of how the triune God operates. We can't. Our, our, our mind and our intellect cannot fathom the realities of the triunity of God. But I think that that is uh, at least a starting place. Does that answer that for you, Andrew? Or would you have a backup question? Or Okay, awesome. All right, so are there any other questions? Just put your hand up if, if you have one. And we'll take a few minutes. Did you see one already? Okay, great. You had mentioned in one of your sermons a few weeks ago about how you were either possessed by the Holy Spirit or you're possessed by something else, yeah. right? And yeah. I'm just wondering, how is it that, that the army of darkness can have free access to a vacant soul but you have to ask for the Holy Spirit to come in. Good question. I would say again, in humility, <laughs> um, because of the fall, the kingdom of darkness bought rights to the human race. So David says, we're born into sin. We don't have to do anything 
uh, in order for that to happen, we're born as slaves into sin. That's what scripture teaches. And that is because of the fall, that's Genesis 3. So we are actually not born into a space of neutrality. We're born owned by and under the leadership of the kingdom of darkness, which is precisely why Jesus had to come. He came to break the power of Satan. He came to destroy the work of the devil and to set us free. There's no other way for us to come out from under that captivity we're born into. Humanity is born into it. Now, and remember, Tim, to get the, um, to continue processing this, that word possession that I use, you're either possessed by the Holy Spirit of God or you're possessed by the kingdom of darkness, by Satan. That is a positional term and sometimes a presence term. But somebody can be owned or under the rule of the kingdom of darkness and be the nicest person on earth and be super generous, super loving and kind to their neighbor and all of those things. That doesn't change. Uh, that doesn't change the spiritual reality. So the question that we would need to ask uh, for each of us, and I'm just giving you my best sort of biblical summary, is, is when you and I die, do you think that you have equal rights to be able to t- determine, am, do I spend eternity in paradise with Jesus or eternity in hell? Do you think that you possess the capacity to make that decision for yourself. I would say scripture says, no, you don't. I don't, which is why we need Jesus precisely. Does that help with that question? Do you have any follow-up or? (laughs) Could talk all day about it. Uh, Yeah, that's a great question though. And I would say we gotta go back if, if we're following scripture, we have to go back to Genesis 3, and we're not born into neutrality, we're born under the rulership of the kingdom of darkness because of sin. That's the result of the curse. That's the reality of it. And we need a savior to break those chains and to free us from that bondage, not just here on earth, but for eternity. So yeah, any other questions just related to the last few weeks? I can't have been that clear. Yes, Christina. You said last week about uh, something, um, praying tongues and still, like I'm talking about uh, Christian, right? Being Christian, praying tongues and still in being the darkness, something like, I, I, I want to just unfold this better. Like, I didn't understand what you're trying to say. Yeah, I remember that. So last week, if you were here, we talked um, about spirit baptism. What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Is there just one? Are there multiple baptisms? And we talked through that. You can listen back to that if you want. I made the statement last week that as a church, we believe in the continuation of all of the gifts of the Spirit. So I don't think it's biblical uh, to hold a cessationist view 
and to believe that the spiritual gifts, the power gifts, specifically the charismatic gifts died with John or the last of the apostles. Um, so our, our, our belief as a church is that every spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Romans 12 and other places are active and at play. My point last week was that when we are, um, we can operate in spiritual gifts, like praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, the prophetic, um, healing and all of, and still actually, they're not uh, some artificial guard against sin in our life. So you can be just as sinful and have the capacity to pray in tongues as somebody who doesn't pray in tongues. That's not some kind of artificial uh, barrier or uh, extra sort of form of grace in your life. It's the reality is those gifts don't belong to us. And we'll talk more about this when we get into them in the new year. Spiritual gifts are not yours. The power that is unleashed in spiritual gifts is not your power. We're not Wiccan, we're not New Agers. We don't possess the power, only God does. We're just a conduit. We're just a conduit walking faithfully with him. It's God's grace, they're called grace gifts. It's God's grace to to endow us with supernatural capacities for the ministry assignments he calls us to, to fulfill his purpose and calling, but it's not, that power isn't ours. And those gifts aren't ours, they're his. And so we hold them with humility. But my point, Christina, was that um, just because your gifts are no indication of spiritual maturity, spiritual authority, or holiness. They're not an indication of those things. God has used many, many disturbingly broken and sinful people to accomplish his purposes. And he does, he's done that in the past and he continues to. So somebody, uh, somebody's charismatic gifting, maybe they have incredible prophetic, you know, gifting or, uh, you know, God uses them to heal people or whatever. A, that gifting is not theirs, that power is not theirs, and that is no indication of spiritual maturity or the inner workings of the heart. We get those things mixed up often. We look at the gift, we look at the outside, we look at what's going on and we're like, wow, that person's, you know, they're really like, they're really walking with Jesus, they're really powerfully connected to the Spirit. That's not a guarantee of that. Um, so that was kind of my point in that. Good question. Any other questions? There's a couple more. John, we'll get to you. Hey, I've, um, I felt burdened for a long time about uh, fasting as a connection to the Holy Spirit and whether or not it's um, good to just make a choice and fast to become close to possibly become closer to the Holy Spirit or if, if it's something where you have to wait until you have that kind of God stirring where he's stirring you to make the choice to fast uh, hopefully I was saying that right like whether it's God telling you to fast or you're telling yourself to fast um, more like are you doing it for God or are you doing it for people kind of thing yeah that's a great question Jeremy um I would say fasting with all all of the spiritual disciplines, um, the, the very purpose of them 
is not rooted in the discipline itself. It's rooted in intimacy with Jesus and obedience to him. So in my opinion, so I had this experience just like a week and a half ago. Um, in this season, I found it dip, more difficult than ever to fast. And even on our days of fasting that we do once a month, I found it really challenging. A few years ago, I found it much easier to, to enter into long fast multiple, like in, in one of the years, I don't know which it was, I think I fasted like almost 80 days in the course of the year, a couple long concentrated ones. And, but it wasn't that hard, it's really hard right now. And I actually just sensed the Holy Spirit, I was asking him about that. And he, I, I felt like him, he actually said, this is not a season for you to fast. This is actually, you need the strength that comes from uh, nourishment. And, and I had been kind of pressing in out of discipline to, to really like, I gotta break through this, God, I gotta break through. And he just reminded me because of things I'm walking through in my own life that have been very challenging in this last season, um, that, that I, 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 I need to be led by him in these things, not just the, the, the discipline of it. There's no glory in the discipline itself. It's an intimacy and obedience with him. And because of the, some of the really challenging things I've been walking through, um, I just sense him say, this is not the season for fasting right now. When you, when you were fasting before, there were many external blessings that were coming um, and I was clearly at work, but you're in a season of pain and trial and suffering. In that season, it's not beneficial to fast is what I heard. But that's, that, it needs to be his leadership. Anything we engage in, like even I would say um, things that are not necessarily wrong, like those are good disciplines. But anything we engage in out of human wisdom or human initiative is purely human. So you can do, you can, you can like rock it at serving the poor and the oppressed. But if it's just coming from your desire, that's not coming from the kingdom. Your responsibility and mine is to walk in obedience to the Father. That's it. Not in some of this stuff. So does that help? Yeah. Uh, John, Spencer's going to come, and then we'll, we'll move on, unless somebody has a, another question. Yeah. I, I hope this is the uh, last three weeks, but I looked through my notes, and I, I need some clarification on uh, just a possession versus um, influence. So, yeah. like, I don't mean proximity, like whether a, a demon sit on my shoulder and, and, and sit on the shoulder and whisper in my ear, or whether I... Uh, he sits inside my shoulder and whispers inside my ear. It's, I'm actually asking about control. Yeah. So can he influence me or can he control me? Yeah, so that's a great question. And we, I, I uncorked uh, a real conundrum for a lot of you a few weeks ago. And this has been a process, John, of like a few years for me of trying to kind of sort this stuff out biblically. Again, our, our heart here is to ha have a biblical framework for these questions. So we, uh, in our conversation of possession, 
in the, in the New Testament, when it uses the word possession to talk about somebody who Jesus was confronting with demonic spirits, unclean spirits, the word possession is not a good translation. In Greek, there are five words for possession, to own something. None of those are the words that are used when possession is used in our English translations. The word in Greek means to have, to be inhabited by, or to be with, like to carry something. Um, so possession is, again, it's about ownership. When somebody gives their life to Jesus, when they come under his lordship, surrender to his lordship, they're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There's, uh, if you would think of it this way, the deed to the home is transferred in ownership, right? So the deed to uh, the house of our life is transferred in ownership. The legal document, the signed paper is transferred. But you and I can own a home and leave the doors open, leave some windows open, and people that we don't want to come in can come in and just occupy space in that house. So the Holy Spirit possesses, he owns the life of a believer. But in scripture, and, and you could go back, I don't wanna go through all of them, you could go back to a couple of weeks ago. In scripture, we see that there is uh, something else that's possible taking place. The, the, the one reference I'll give you is Ephesians 4, when Paul is saying, and he's using anger, but anger is not the only one. He's talking about anger being the source, a door-opening reality for somebody who is a follower of Jesus. So Paul is teaching to the Ephesians. He's teaching Christians in the church, and he's saying anger can be a door-opening reality in your life where the devil can gain a foothold. The Greek word for foothold is topos, which means inhabited space. So, the question is then, what, wh how do we relate to, and I would just say, um, go back a couple weeks or, or get that, our recommended resource book in the lobby, which has a very thorough biblical treatment. But scripturally speaking, a Christian can be tormented by Satan, can be uh, physically buffeted by him, can be influenced. A Christian can be harassed by the kingdom of darkness, many things. And through different door opening events, a Christian can have an unclean spirit that only holy power can evict. So just coming under truth is not gonna work. Just coming under the teaching of scripture is not gonna work. And we talked about those realities um, last week. And it doesn't mean as well. I would just, I wanna really make this clear. It does not mean as well that if there's something spiritual going on in your life, that you're somehow dirty or unclean or, or um, you know, that you don't love God or that there's something gross with you or dysfunctional. It's just the reality. It's the nature of the spiritual world we live in. Satan has no capacity for compassion in him. He will exploit anything he can in your life to gain ground in a foothold. And sometimes... Um, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes that requires the power of God to expel, to push out um, what's going on spiritually there. Not all the time. 
It's certainly that's not our first assumption with people. But Satan will use any means he can to, uh, to set us into greater bondage. And sometimes, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, that can be actually through um, constant habitual door opening sin, he can gain ground in our lives. And that ground needs to be then taken back by uh, Jesus uh, through prayer and deliverance. Um, so I hope that that helps. That's like a, a very short little summary uh, for you. So I just wanna move forward because we can't spend the whole morning. Did you have a question, Brenda? Yeah, so Brenda makes a great point. The, the, the opposite is true as well. So the Holy Spirit, part of his role on the earth is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, John 16. The Holy Spirit is active in people's lives, drawing them to Jesus. He's active before someone has ever made any kind of acknowledgement or profession of faith, any kind of sort of revelation of who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit is active breaking into dark places to bring a revelation of truth and life so that that person can be set free. Does that, is that correct? Yes. Yes, as far as influence goes, Brenda was just saying, let's not just say it one way, it goes both ways. Um, so, you and I are a battleground. We are a battleground. Why? Why are we a battleground? Because you are made in the image of God and Satan hates everything that bears the image of God. You and I are not a, uh, you know, just dummies in this war. We're getting tossed around like helplessly. We are battleground because we are made in the image of God. We're deeply loved by God. In uh, spiritual places, we actually hold a higher position before God than Satan did, which infuriates him. Satan himself wanted to ascend to the throne of God. He wanted to be the most high, higher than the most. He wanted to be the object of the affection of everything God had created. And then God made humanity and said, they bear my image. The angelic world does not bear the image of God. They're not made in his image the way that we are. They're not image bearers like we are. They're sentient beings, yes, but they're not image bearers. You and I are in a battle and we are the battleground because God has made us in his image. He loves us deeply and Satan is working in any way possible. His stated goal is to destroy the kingdom of God and he'll undermine it in any way possible. 